0: Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for joining us today. In the midst of this holiday season, I want to send to you and your family the very best holiday wishes possible. And despite the challenges going on in our world, this really is a time to be grateful for each other and the blessings we enjoy and I'm grateful for each of you, and I hope this year this podcast, Open Your Eyes, has been a source of encouragement and help. I also hope this message today will help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. Please share this podcast with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you automatically get the next podcast as it is released each week. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about bridging the gap in our emotional life. During the Ice Age, sea level was several hundred feet lower than it is today, and it was then that the melting glaciers fed the Sacramento and San Joaquin Rivers. As the rivers found their way to the ocean, the water scoured a deep channel in the bedrock, and this channel still exists today under the waters of the Golden Gate. In 1846, the famous explorer John Fremont named the San Francisco Strait the Golden Gate, because it was a golden gate to trade with the Orient. The water at the Golden Gate is 377 feet deep, and these deep waters of the San Francisco Bay make it a perfect harbor for ships and industry. The 1,600 square miles of the bay, with its sub-bays, are home to waterfowls, sea lions, aquatic life of all kinds, and for many years, the U.S. Navy. As a result, in the early 1900s, the San Francisco Peninsula became a popular destination for all types of industry, and soon it was one of the largest cities in the United States. As the population of San Francisco grew, it was obvious that the gap between San Francisco and Marin County to the north needed a bridge. And while ferries were carrying workers and traffic across the strait, the demand for traffic was increasing and the transportation of goods to San Francisco was expensive, often taking more than five hours to drive around the bay to the south. With a bridge, the goods and people could make the trip quickly. As a result, the bridge was proposed to span the gap, but almost all experts believed the gap was too wide and the bay was too deep to build a bridge 6,700 feet long. That could withstand the winds and the earthquakes of the bay. In 1916, a call for help was made for proposals to bridge the gap of the Golden Gate. Now, one man who responded was Joseph Strauss. He was five feet tall and was an ambitious engineer who specialized in draw bridges. But Strauss had never built a bridge as long as that required for the Golden Gate. And his initial design was ugly, and the local authorities rejected it outright. And given the recent advances in metallurgy, a suspension bridge was proposed instead. Now, a suspension bridge is a type of bridge in which the deck or roadway is hung and supported by a series of cables suspended from larger cables attached to vertical towers. And because the deck is hung from above, it doesn't need a foundation beneath. And this allows you to span large distances, But Strauss needed help in the design of such a large suspension bridge. And there were several huge engineering obstacles to overcome as well. The weight of the roadway deck was over 300 million pounds. Think about the stress on a structure when 300 million pounds begins to sway in the wind. And the bridge needed to withstand earthquakes as well. So it needed to be flexible with dampers that could handle the immense amount of weight and movement. The bridge had to be 227 feet tall, so massive ships in the Navy could pass beneath it, and it needed to last and be able to be maintained for years and decades to come. In short, the challenges were almost impossible. Now, it occurs to me that sometimes life is very much the same. We we have gaps. There's something about us or what we're doing that needs to be overcome, and this isn't easy. Perhaps the way we treat people falls short, or there is part of our personality in which we follow emotion or mood, and that causes problems. You know, the hardest thing for any of us to do is to admit that the problem right now in my life might be me. And it is a sign of our times that we want to blame circumstances or the actions of others for our challenges. But often, it's our shortfalls that are at the heart of our gaps in life. And here's the thing. Bridging the gaps in our life is possible, and it is critical to remember that we all have gaps. We all fall short, and sometimes we need to step up and do what we think isn't possible. Well, that is what happened at the Golden Gate Bridge. Strauss knew he couldn't build the bridge on his own, so he sought help, and he turned to college professor and engineer, Charles Ellis. Ellis was a genius. And huge engineering challenges of the bridge were overcome under his direction. Two towers were created in the bedrock beneath the shallow waters on the edges of the Golden Gate Strait. And from the tops of these two towers were strung two massive cables. But instead of using a single steel cable that was subject to cracking or breaking, Ellis used small wires woven together. And in total, the large cables contained 27,000 parallel Wires. They were the largest cables ever spun, and the 80,000 miles of wire used was long enough to wrap around the earth three times. Now, the government wouldn't help with funding for the bridge, so they secured a $35 million bond with the bond guaranteed by the personal property of homeowners in the area. The bond would be repaid by bridge tolls. Now, how many people today would pledge their homes for the construction of a public project? Not many. The construction had one challenge after another. Accidents, earthquake, a recession in the economy, and a host of other challenges came their way. But in the end, 250 pairs of vertical suspender cables were installed to hold in place the 60-foot-wide road deck. And the bridge was successfully built. Now, the U.S. Navy had lobbied that the bridge be painted in blue and yellow stripes to increase its visibility for ships at night. But when the steel arrived in San Francisco, it was painted a burnt red color using primer. And that color was chosen because it was both highly visible and more pleasing to the eye. And it was then that the bridge became a landmark. The orange color is what makes the Golden Gate Bridge the bridge we know today. In total, it took four and a half years to build. Now, there are other bridges, longer bridges, in the Bay Area, But the Golden Gate Bridge, which opened in 1937, has been the landmark of San Francisco. And that's the way it is with bridging the gaps in our life. When you face something impossible and you find a way to span the gap, it becomes a landmark moment in your life. I've had and still have large gaps to bridge in my life. And I've had to learn the hard way to be a better father, and I'm still learning. I've had to worry less about myself to commit myself to be more of a God-led person, and I could go on. And I'm sure that you've had landmark moments as well. Just like the Golden Gate stands as a landmark, when we overcome and become more of who we can and should be, we find landmark moments in our life. So if you're facing a large gap in your life or behavior or character, if you know you have something you need to overcome, how do you begin? What can help us to be more apt to bridge the character chasms in our life? Well, the first thing most of us need to be aware of is the need to bridge our gap. For example, in most relationships, someone at some time in some way needs to change. (laughs) However, from time to time, we aren't aware that we need to change. And sometimes we aren't aware because we're so focused on ourselves or our own needs. And this is normal. Especially in times of change or anxiety, we naturally focus on ourselves on our own, right? But if you stay too long in this perspective, you create gaps between you and other people and in your ability to empathize and influence others. So, if you've been a bit of a me monster of late, then this podcast may help. You know, a me monster is someone who's so self-absorbed that no one else matters. Someone who thinks and makes decisions out of their own mood or need or perspective. You know, I love the story of Jack Nicholas and his son, Jackie. You all know Jack Nicholas, perhaps one of the greatest golfers of all time. When his son, Jackie, was 18 years old, he was being a bit of a me monster. You know, focused on your own and not thinking about others. And he had just completed the second round of a junior golf tournament. And he says this, I was at the scorer's table that late Sunday afternoon, signing my scorecard when somebody yelled over to me that my dad was on the telephone. I was a little frustrated about the timing of the call because the tournament had just been played. At that moment for me, this junior golf tournament was the most important thing going on in the world. Well, I picked up the receiver and dad asked me how I played. Well, I hadn't scored very well, but I proceeded to describe my entire round, hole by hole, shot by shot. Literally, I went on and on for 20 straight minutes. Dad just listened, patiently and intently. He responded with questions about why I thought I might have made certain mistakes as I rehashed my 18 holes. And when I told him I was having problems with my chipping, he promised we'd work on it when he got home. He was so interested and generous and genuinely wanted to hear about it, all of it. As I finished, there was a short silence. I was about to thank Dad for calling and say goodbye. Then Dad said, Jackie, would you like to know how your dad did today? A little embarrassed, I quickly said, Well, yes, how did you do today? Well, he said, I just won the U.S. Open. Here was my dad who just set a new tournament scoring record to win his fourth U.S. title. And he was on the telephone some 1,200 miles away asking me how my round went At a junior golf tournament you know it's easy in life like jackie was on this day to get so focused on ourselves that we don't see the major things going on around us and this makes us blind to the gaps that exist in our life and with people remember we all have gaps gaps in our awareness of others feelings and how we overcompensate for our own insecurities how we communicate or don't communicate, or how we let our emotion or mood drive our behavior, or in the many ways we don't measure up, particularly in dealing with people. It's not easy, and it's one of the reasons we, at times, don't feel good about ourselves. So, having said all of that, how do we open our eyes to see these gaps in our way of living? Well, emotional intelligence, other known as emotional quotient, or EQ, is the ability to perceive, control, and evaluate emotions. It is the ability to understand things from the view of other people, empathize with others, and overcome challenges in dealing with people, and diffuse conflict. It includes your ability to manage yourself, be aware of your own emotions and thoughts, be socially aware, and accurately see yourself and how you relate to others. Now, most experts argue that EQ is more important than IQ. You probably know people who are academically brilliant and yet are socially inept and unsuccessful in their personal relationships. Experts have said that over a lifetime, IQ is probably fixed for most of us, meaning we will test the same in IQ at age 10 as we do at 50. EQ, however, can be developed. EQ is measurable and research has shown changeable. And almost all agree that success in school is 75% IQ and 25% EQ. In life, it's exactly the opposite. My favorite story about being socially aware is this. A 70-year-old woman was arrested for shoplifting, and when she was brought before the judge, he asked her, what did you steal? She replied, a can of peaches. The judge asked her why she had stolen them, and she replied she was hungry. The judge then asked how many peaches were in the can, and she replied, six. The judge then said, okay then, I will give you six days in jail. Before the judge could actually pronounce the punishment, the woman's husband spoke up and asked the judge if he could say something. The judge said, what is it? The husband said, she also stole a can of peas. Now, maybe the husband had a high EQ after all, right? Regardless, becoming more socially aware and increasing your EQ isn't easy, and every one of us struggle with it. The question is whether you can learn from your struggles. Now, negative emotions, especially anger, anxiety, stress, or sense of futility, powerfully disrupt our healthy life, hijacking it, hijacking attention from the people in our life or the task at hand. This happens at work, for instance, in a Yale study of moods and their contagion, the performance of groups making executive decisions about how to best allocate yearly bonuses was measurably boosted by positive feelings and was impaired by negative ones. Significantly, the group members themselves did not realize the influence of their own moods on how they allocated bonuses. You see, mood clouds our judgment. The same goes in life. Mood moves us. In particular, negative emotions tend to hijack everything else, our thinking, coping, and most of all, our personality. We become less of ourselves when we are low on emotional intelligence. Difficult emotions, particularly stress and anxiety, may sometimes make us feel like we're facing a huge gap and unable to cross to the place awaiting us on the other side. As a result, we freeze, act out, or shut down, making it difficult to think rationally. Now, for most of us, there are three primary ways we avoid difficult emotions. See if you do any one of these three. The first is distracting yourself with obsessive thoughts or mindless entertainment and addictive behaviors. When you have a negative emotion, your response might be watching television for hours or drinking or overeating or playing computer games or work or compulsively using your smartphone or computer. These are all ways to avoid dealing with your feelings through obsessive distraction. The second is sticking with one emotion response that you feel comfortable with, no matter what the situation requires. For example, constantly joking around to cover up insecurities, or getting angry all the time to avoid feeling sad or anxious. And the third is just shutting down, or shutting down our intense emotions. You know, if you feel overwhelmed by your emotions, you may cope by numbing yourself. You shut down, retreat, ignore, sleep, or find ways to avoid dealing with your emotions. So instead of trying any of these three ways to react to strong emotions, I've learned this simple bridge-building approach. I think of dealing with these emotions as gaps in my emotional intelligence. And my job is to bridge the gap, little by little, by strengthening my EQ. In one of my first podcasts, I shared this story. A Christian missionary couple was called to Africa to serve deep in the heart of the continent. And when they got to the coast, they were told that they'd be taking machinery to a missionary center at an outpost in Zaire. They had a whole truckload of heavy machinery, and when they got the truck completely loaded, it weighed about eight tons. And that soon turned out to be a problem. The road that led to where they were going passed over many rivers and streams and deep ravines. The bridges that they crossed were crude. They were made of logs tied together with vines. Now, some of the bridges had 3T for three ton written on a sign next to them, meaning the weight limit was three tons. Others had 6T, but none of them had AT written on the sign beside them. The truck was too heavy to cross. The missionary was deeply concerned, and his wife said, well, what are we going to do about all the weight on those bridges? We'll have to leave some of the stuff behind. But the missionary said, there isn't anything we can do to lighten the load. I'll just have to reinforce the bridges. So that's what they did. They started out and at each bridge they would stop and with considerable effort, sometimes dangerous work because the rivers were infested with crocodiles and snakes, they would cut down trees, strengthen the bridge and rebuild it to the point where it could carry eight tons. And thus they delivered their supplies. Every time we strengthen our emotional intelligence, we bridge a little more of the gap. And in building any bridge, the design work of the bridge is the hardest. When you understand the emotions that you have and can identify them and how they impact you, you're more than halfway there. Then you can design ways to more productively manage your emotions. So how do you strengthen your bridge? Well, first, practice really practice seeing things from other people's point of view. When I was a college-age young man, I was living in a foreign country, trying to learn the language, influence people, and succeed in a new way of life. But I was discouraged, overwhelmed, and not having success with the people around me or the language. So I wrote a letter to my father detailing my struggles in a bit of an emotional outburst on paper. Sensing my lack of emotional intelligence and immaturity and impatience at the time, my dad responded. Among other things, he said, you never know how the other man feels until you walk in his moccasins. Now, forgiving the cultural insensitivity of his statement, what he was trying to say is this. Look, when you're dealing with people, you have to walk in their shoes. You have to genuinely see things from their point of view. And understand the way they think and why they think that way when they feel you are genuinely seeking to do so even if you're not perfect you will have influence on them now this was a profound lesson for me and i quickly learned that superficial techniques to show empathy didn't work it had to be genuine you see people can read superficial and with superficial you don't build an eq bridge You've got to span the gap between you and the other person by first putting in the bedrock, the foundation of your bridge. And that can only be done through genuine understanding. I also learned that by genuinely seeking to see things from another person's point of view, I gained an in-depth exposure to lots of different views. And I started to see the various ways that people dealt with their emotions and feelings and perspectives. And I started to open my eyes to the fact that the way I saw the world wasn't the same as the way other people see the world. And while I didn't know it then, I was getting a crash course in emotional intelligence. Here's where this is powerful. When you can step into another person's view with ease and empathize with their way of thinking and do that with a variety of people, you don't get stressed or upset or thrown off course in life Because you understand others. You are less stressed in life as a result. So, how do you put this into practice? Well, have the propensity to ask questions in which you are genuinely interested in the answer. We all ask questions of other people, like, How are you? And sometimes we aren't interested so much or even expecting an answer. Instead, to grow your EQ, ask questions in which you are genuinely interested. For example, You might say to someone, what have you learned the most from building your business? Or if you could do it again, what would you do different? Or how do you motivate yourself to work out for one hour a day? These are questions that I'm interested in. And when you're interested, you genuinely make deposits with the person. They sense your authenticity. They open up more and you get to view things from their perspective. And when it comes to the next time you deal with them, It's more likely there will be positivity and not negative emotion. Now, I'm a saver. I don't spend much money, and over the years, I've made a lot of small deposits into my bank account. I like the feel of it. It's satisfying to me. It's more satisfying even than buying things. And after years of doing so, making a withdrawal is no big deal. It doesn't affect the balance in my account very much. Likewise, every time you seek to understand another person, each time you try on someone else's point of view, you make a deposit of sorts. And after years of doing so, an emotional withdrawal is no big deal. And when you're doing this, you feel like you're getting rich because there's beauty and fulfillment and gratitude and power in opening up your eyes to see how others see things. You see, there are many ways to feel wealthy in life. And there is wealth that matters and wealth that doesn't matter. When I'm genuinely interested in another person, I'm wealthy. Now, interestingly, not all of us are emotionally wealthy. In the last decade, over one half a million people have taken a leading EQ test. And of those, only 36% can accurately identify with their emotions when they occur. And that means two-thirds of us are held captive by or unaware of our emotions, EQ comes alive when you're able to become aware of the full extent of your emotions, whether positive or negative. As we learn to catch our emotional reactions before we act them out, we become more self-aware and more emotionally mature. Now, in the same test that I just talked about, older people scored higher on the EQ test, most likely because they've had a lifetime of experience interacting with other people. And in the beginning years ago, when they first administered the test, women scored higher in self-awareness, social awareness, and relationship management. But over the years, men caught up to women and now run or measure neck-to-neck in scores. And the researchers attribute this to changing social norms in which men have learned to pay more attention to their emotions. Strangely, CEOs and other C-level executives score much lower than middle managers on the EQ scale. Perhaps middle managers have the benefit of seeing things from their supervisor's view as well as their employee's view. And the C-suite managers or CEO only have a single view from the top. Now, the second useful tool for bridging the gap in your emotional intelligence is this. Remember, time is a powerful tool. I've learned that over time, things tend to be less important than I thought they were at the moment. And time is a tool that I can use. For example, let's say in your business, you've gotten started with a new business partner, and they aren't as fully committed as they should be. How can you use time as a tool? Well, perhaps you need to take time to make a few emotional deposits. You know, the low EQ person would use tactics to push the person, creating a negative emotional environment. But A higher EQ person would understand that some people need to reflect or require time to build their emotions around a change that you're asking them to make. And this is true of relationships with children, a spouse, or a business colleague. You know, John Quincy Adams said, patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. This has been my experience. Time provides more information, allows you to discover more of their needs, lowers expectations, leads to realistic agreements, lets problems rise to the surface, and makes things more clear. So, to grow your EQ, use time as a tool. For me personally, when I'm in an anxious moment or a stress-filled conversation, I say to myself, use time as a tool. And this helps me to remember, it doesn't have to be solved today. And the more I've learned to do this, the more I can put something on the shelf without emotion associated with the thing being unresolved. You see, so many of us give in to time pressure and the internal need to have things resolved. We can't have peace unless something is resolved. But I've learned that with time, we gain perspective and things usually work out a bit better. You know, real estate agents, car salesmen, and a host of other people in various industries use the stress of a short time period to get you to agree to things you might not otherwise agree to. And you agree to it because you just want the stress of it to go away. You see, a short time period lowers your decision making capacity, and EQ takes a back seat. The opposite is also true. When you use time as a tool, you open the door to less stress and raise the overall EQ quotient in your life. And remember, timing is everything. Focus on the other person's emotional state and frame of mind instead of your own. Then you'll find the right timing for what you need to communicate. Now last, to bridge the emotional gap in life, remember the NIB rule of emotional intelligence. Nib stands for notice, importance, and belonging. 25 years ago, Tom Hanks wrote and directed a movie called That Thing You Do. And actor Steve Zahn talked about one day on the set of filming that movie. He said, my mom Zelda was on the set and we were doing the scene in the diner where I grab the flower and say, does my breath smell good before I head off to my date? And we had run the scene a couple of times and it was very quiet. We finished, and Tom was like, All right, I think that's pretty good. Zelda, what do you think? And my mom goes, uh, Yeah, <laughs> it was really great. She always remembers that. Tom Hanks knew what he wanted from the scene, and he knew what he wanted from the performances, but still he asked because he wanted Zan's mother to feel noticed, to feel recognized, to feel important. That's why great leaders embrace the rule of notice, importance, and belonging. Taking time to offer a small gesture or a kind word or even a nod makes people feel they matter. That makes people feel a part of something. That makes people feel in some small way that they belong. Putting the rule of NIB into action requires emotional intelligence. And Hanks had to understand that Zahn's mother, while clearly allowed to be on the set, might have felt like an outsider, like someone present but marginal or even unnecessary. And by asking her opinion, Hanks made her feel like she was part of the group. Just like weightlifting increases your physical strength, putting the NIB rule to work in your daily routine will strengthen your emotional intelligence. And it's easy to remember this NIB rule. I call it the making people matter rule. Notice, importance, belonging. So if you're leading a team and want more action, put in place the NIB rule. It'll motivate more than money. Make it about belonging. Help them feel important. This is a simple and powerful way to lead and influence people. Now, we're in the midst of what experts are calling the great resignation. It's the ongoing trend of employees to voluntarily leave their job. So companies like mine are focusing on keeping employees. And higher pay works, but only for a short while. What I've learned is people stay in work if, one, they feel like they belong and have a connection or a friend at work who genuinely cares, and two, they feel like their work has a purpose, that the organization is doing good in the world. So you can see in today's environment, the NIB rule is more important than ever. Here's the thing. You may remember that we mentioned there are other bridges. In fact, three primary bridges in the San Francisco Bay. The Golden Gate Bridge is the shortest. The other bridges are remarkable bridges. But the Golden Gate has become famous because of its orange primer color. It stands out with style. And the same goes for you. When you use the notice, importance, and belonging rule, you'll paint yourself in a different color. You become memorable. You create landmark moments that can and will change your life, your business, and your family. And you engender positivity, and that positivity returns to you for years to come. So next time you see the Golden Gate Bridge, remember, just as it spanned the gap over the Golden Gate, so you and your efforts to grow in emotional intelligence can bridge the gaps in your life and leadership. Strengthen the Bridge learn from your experiences, have the propensity to ask questions in which you are genuinely interested in the answer. And when you do, you will learn to see things from another's view. Use time as a tool. Time's your asset and be willing to shelve emotional matters. Let them sit for a bit. Come back to them and take off the pressure of having to resolve them immediately. And remember, the notice, importance, belonging rule. Help everyone feel included and important. As you make even simple steps to try one of these suggestions, just watch the strength that comes into your life as a result. Well, I hope these podcasts give you a little hope in life. They're a gift from all of us here to you in hopes that we can become better together. Thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.